Today we'll dive into the intricate web of rewards and punishments within the framework of our modern education system. As we navigate this delicate terrain, we must question whether these extrinsic motivators truly foster genuine love for learning or inadvertently steer our students toward a transactional approach to education. Are we nurturing their intrinsic curiosity and fostering a sense of autonomy? Or are we inadvertently conditioning them to seek validation through external accolades? It's time to critically examine the fine balance between guidance and autonomy so that we may sculpt a generation of lifelong learners who are intrinsically driven to explore knowledge, embrace challenges, and embark on a journey of growth rather than merely chasing the allure of rewards and avoiding punishments. Welcome to episode 140 of the Teacher Rockstar podcast, a place where tips and strategies critical to the new teacher are discussed. We share the latest educational research and best practices so that the new teacher can be better equipped for a successful classroom experience. I'm your host, Steve Hiles. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the theory and research with Mr. Alfie Cohn as discussed in his book, Punished by Rewards. But before we get started, I would like to take a moment to share a little bit about today's guest. Alfie Cohn writes and speaks widely on human behavior, education, and parenting. The most recent of his 14 books are Schooling Beyond Measure and other unorthodox essays about education published 2015. And The Myth of the Spoiled Child, Challenging the Conventional Wisdom About Children and Parenting, published 2014. Of his earlier titles, the best known are Punished by Rewards, published 1993. And No Contest, The Case Against Competition, published 1986, Unconditional Parenting, published 2005, and The Schools Our Children Deserve, published 1999. Cohn has been described in Time Magazine as perhaps the country's most outspoken critic of education's fixation on grades and test scores. His criticisms of competition and rewards have helped to shape the thinking of educators as well as parents and managers across the country and abroad. Cohn has been featured on hundreds of TV and radio programs, including the Today Show and two appearances on Oprah. He has been profiled in the Washington Post and the Los Angeles Times, while his work has been described and debated in many other leading publications. Cohn, the father of two grown children, lives actually in the Boston area and virtually at www.alfiecohn.org. Welcome to the show, Mr. Cohn. Glad to be here. All right. I am so thrilled to have you on and share your expertise with us today. And I'd like to just dive right in here. You know, in your book, Punished by Rewards, um, could you explain uh, to the audience uh, the main pitfalls of behaviorism and why it is inadequate for fostering genuine learning and motivation? Well, let's begin by making sure we understand what behaviorism is all about. Um, That's an approach to understanding the human that was developed uh, by John Watson and B.F. Skinner, most famously on laboratory animals that reduces all organisms to a series of um, specific observable, quantifiable actions that Mm -hmm. can be seen and observed Um, and controlled, the idea being that we are pulled by outside forces, by by reinforcers, by um, the environment, and that it's possible to break down everything we do according not to our own experiences, which 
tend to be dismissed as irrelevant or even um, as non-existent. But just the stuff on the outside, it's what you do that matters. And by manipulating those rewards specifically, you can make people with less power than you do whatever you want, just mm-hmm. the way you would train a lab animal. Now, on a theoretical basis, for many of us, this doesn't ring true. It, it trivializes our experience, our sense of the world. Um, and it also sets up a control-based dynamic where uh, schooling, like parenting or managing employees, for that matter, is a matter of doing things to people rather than working with people right. by using some combination of, of threats, uh, punishments, and bribes or rewards, um, on the other hand. And we are more, in fact, than our behaviors. And what matters are the reasons, the motives and values uh, that inform the things that we do. So just to be uh, more accurate um, and offer a better explanatory model, we have to go past this uh, behaviorism, which has been rejected by almost all of of the field of psychology now, Mm -hmm. um, and yet continues to drive what goes on in schools and families and workplaces, the popular approach based on this, what I call pop behaviorism. And so in schools, let's focus there. I think that's the the primary interest in this podcast, Mm -hmm. that schools are still driven by by this thin surface level approach in terms of how we treat kids, especially models of classroom management and school-based discipline that are very much like uh, treating kids like pets, and in terms of scope and sequence curricula and um, uh, approaches to assessment with grades and tests that are all based on uh, something Skinner would have been very pleased with. Punishments and rewards can work to get one thing, and only one thing, which is temporary compliance, but at a terrific cost. I see. If I say to you, do this, or here's what I'm going to do to you, and you won't like it, if I have the power to make you suffer, I might be able to force you to do something I want as long as I'm around, and as long as that threat of making you suffer is there, but it will kill your interest in the stuff I want you to do, and it will disrupt our relationship, because now you see me as an enforcer to be avoided, not a caring ally. And this is the point that many people fail to understand, even those who understand the punishments, even if we use euphemisms to make ourselves feel better about doing them to people like consequences. Right. Even, if we underst- even if we understand that stuff backfires, rewards are no better than punishment. Carrots are, are, no, more better, are no better than sticks. If I said to you instead, do this and you'll get that, Still, we're focused only on the observable action, the tip of the iceberg, not the the child who engages in the behavior. Uh Still, it's about doing to, not working with, about using our power to to try to elicit a desired action from the kid. And according to the research, 
it's not only ineffective in the long run, it mm-hmm. tends to be counterproductive, meaning that the more you reward people for doing something, the more they tend to lose interest in whatever they had to do to get the reward. I see. Um, you know, uh, many ed- educators, uh, Mr. Cohn, uh, you know, argue that rewards can be effective in motivating students and shaping desired behaviors. So how would you respond uh, to this perspective? You know, and what evidence or research, you know, research supports uh, the claim that rewards are no better than punishments? I know you mentioned, uh, you know, studies have been done. Um, can, can you speak to that? Studies, yeah. 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 And with respect to first, let's talk about um, uh, achievement or outcomes of that kind, the quality of learning in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, many, many studies have found that students who are doing something in order to get a good grade or a gold star or praise, good job, which is just a verbal doggy biscuit, mm-hmm. are less effective at learning than students who were not rewarded at all. And that's, that, that's the, one of the first chapters in my book where I lay out the evidence and then 25 years later reviewed all the new evidence showing that rewards inhibit us from quality, particularly when creativity or innovative thinking is, is demanded. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I offer you a reward for you know, licking a whole bunch of envelopes, as, okay. then you may lick more envelopes, at least for now, then people asked to do the same stupid, dreary, pointless task who were not offered a, a, you know, a reward for it. But if we're asked to, to learn mathematics, to think scientifically or historically, to read or write with, uh, uh, with, with ingenuity, the students who are offered a reward for doing something, mm-hmm. and especially in other experiments, those who are offered a reward for doing it well, typically display inferior performance to those who are offered nothing at all. Hmm. So it's not just that rewards are ineffective, it's that they are actively counterproductive. And I spend a lot of the rest of the book trying to figure out why that's true. Since uh-huh. It turns out to be true across cultures, across ages, across genders, and across tasks. But even if we're interested in the kind of actions kids, or for that matter, grown-ups engage in, not just about achievement and productivity, rewards tend to undermine the interest that people have in doing something, and thus they tend not to stick with it. So, for example, studies have consistently found that kids who are rewarded or praised are less generous and caring than other kids. And the Mm. effect is most pronounced if they've been rewarded or praised for being generous. So if I lean over to a kid and say, you Thanks for helping. You are such a big help. I really appreciate how generous you are, you know, for sharing Uh your materials with Benji. That kid just became a little more selfish as a result of that intervention. Hmm, That's interesting. It's true for for adults, too. If you reward people for quitting smoking or for going to the gym or for losing weight, you may get a change in behavior, maybe. Maybe for as long as the rewards keep coming. But as soon as the incentives stop, 
people tend to not only go back to what they were doing or not doing before, it gets worse. And the result is, is, is worse than it is for a group of people who are never treated like pets to begin with. So whether we're talking about the actions we engage in, the values we have, or the quality of thinking, mm-hmm. rewards like punishments tend to undermine the very things we're trying to promote. Wow, that's, that is very, very interesting. You know, um, and this brings me to this next thing I wanted to ask you, sir, is, you know, in the context of the, of the classroom, and you have this new teacher, you know, just graduated college, going into the classroom. Now, yep. is, is there ever a time uh, th- when rewards and punishment are appropriate? Y- you know, uh, <laughs> I don't... the short answer is no, given everything I've, I've yeah, said just before. A, yeah, yeah. Because you're only going to make things worse. Um, you may eventually be able to phase out the rewards and hopefully mm-hmm. recover from all the damage you've just done by bribing and threatening them into compliance. But it will always have been better if you never did that to begin with. I see. Now, if, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, so I wrote a whole book just about the issue of classroom management and alternatives to the bribe and threat approach, a book called Beyond Discipline. Okay. Which it, examines this in in great detail to explain why behavior management programs where we, you know, give these doggy biscuits to kids, these little red, yellow, and green tickets or marbles (laughs) in a jar or class dojo or, or all, or that the um, PBIS, which is a school-wide program, um, why all of these programs are so damaging to kids. They're tempting for that new teacher you're talking about, yeah. hypothetically, who doesn't know what to do, mm-hmm. who re- falls back on this model. But part of the problem is not just with the long-term effects of rewards and punishments, how they tend to undermine the very things we're trying to promote, hoping that that new teacher is not just trying to promote silence. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But also... Really, we have to move beyond them, and it's also, I would argue, just a very disrespectful way of treating people, human beings of any age. But we really have to look at the question of that I just whizzed by uh, in passing here is the question of, of goal, not just method. What are we trying to do? Programs like the ones I rattled off, these classroom management programs, don't help kids to become deep thinkers or caring, generous people, mm-hmm. or members of a community, or excited learners. But that shouldn't be surprising, because they were never intended to do that. They were intended to get one thing only, which is mindless obedience. Mm. And people who claim they're effective are, first of all, mistaken in the long run, according to the best research. But second, the effectiveness that they're thinking about um, the good outcome is at the expense of kids' moral and social and intellectual development. So I see. It's not a matter of substituting a different kind of incentive program or switching from punitive consequences to rewards or from tangible rewards to verbal rewards or individual rewards to group rewards. It's not a matter of fine-tuning the program because the whole program has been only about compliance 
And if we want to help kids, this is why I often begin with exactly this question when I do workshops with teachers. What uh-huh. do you want from your kids? How would you like them to turn out? What are your long-term goals for these kids? Well, and you, I, get a, I make a list. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going yeah. to go <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say, uh, well, they, you know, obviously a teacher wants to instill good character or, or, you know, in, in their children and, and uh, you know, obviously yeah. enable them to be problem solvers and critical thinkers over time. Uh, you there know. we go. Yeah. Those are know. the things I hear. I, I, I've done this hundreds and hundreds of times all over the country, all over the world, mm-hmm. and I get exactly those answers. Problem solvers, critical thinkers, want kids to be caring and generous, independent. I want them to be lifelong learners, right. uh, that sort of thing. And so what I do for a living is I say, you say you want this, so why are you doing that? Because it's not it, – don't stop using rewards or consequences because I don't like them or because, you know, this – even this study shows that they backfire. It's because they can never, I mean never, no matter how they're implemented, reach, help kids to reach the goals you just said you wanted. Mm-hmm. Well, you do not ever mm-hmm. be, help kids to become critical thinkers or problem solvers or decent human beings by bribing or threatening them into obeying someone who has more power. That leads them to become more dependent on powerful figures to control them in the future. I see. Uh, well, uh, Mr. Cohn, then could you maybe provide just a few alternatives that the new teacher walking in that classroom for the first time can actually implement? I mean, I mean, is it, is it wrong for them to periodically say, well, a good job or, or, or like standing at the door in the morning, shaking her hand, good morning, give them some positive affirmations. Uh, well, is, wait, wait, there's a, that's a great, a great example of two things that you lump together that are completely different. Okay. The second thing you said, standing at the door, giving them some affirmation, saying, hi, I notice you, I care about you, you know, mm-hmm. how are you doing? Uh, let's make a connection. Right. Absolutely yes to that. Okay. But good job is not about positive affirmation and encouragement and connection and relationship. Good job is... I'm giving you a verbal reward for impressing or pleasing me. Mm-hmm. That leads wow. to more dependence, less kids who are, who, it's, it's the opposite of what psychologists call autonomy support. And kids understand that this is fundamentally manipulative. This is not honest, genuine connection and encouragement. This is sugar-coated control. And that's not what kids need, and it doesn't help them. So the question then becomes, how do we offer the encouragement and support and relationship and caring and connection uh, that kids need to be feel noticed, uh, to feel important, um, and to have some sense of autonomy? You know, it matters what I think. Without falling back on the control-based stuff, whether that is, you know... Uh, forcible isolation, mm-hmm. which we call timeout, or some other punishment or some other reward, including a patronizing pat on the head. And the way we do this, the way we build a caring community and sense of connection, starts with giving kids more say about their lives in the classroom, individually and collectively, okay. helping to build a caring classroom community where the teacher does 
a lot more listening than telling, where they have regular meetings to come together to decide what we're going to learn next and how and with whom and on what schedule and why and what will go on the walls and how the furniture will be arranged. And if we're going to take a field trip, where we'll go and what do we do when somebody says something cruel? How can we as a community help that kid? Yeah. And each aspect of classroom life becomes something for us to figure out together as a community. Because kids learn to make good decisions by making decisions, yeah. Yeah. not by following directions. And all punishments and rewards, including good job, is about getting kids to follow directions. I that see. doesn't help them develop. It undermines their development. So giving kids more choice, and, and I, from, from, I, I kind of get the idea that, that you're not in, um, con- condoned like timeout areas or anything like that. If, if a, you oh, know. my God, I wouldn't do that to my pet, let alone oh. to a child. <laughs> okay, all right. I just wanted – well, then can you offer uh, – my first part of my question was some, some uh, alternatives. You know, what, what would you say would be some appropriate alternatives to, to the rewards and, and punishment aspects? Well, that's exactly what I was trying to answer in terms of class meetings, yes, in terms yeah, of yeah. affirmation without. Um, the most important thing is not to look for a new script. If I don't say good job, what words are supposed to come out of my mouth and where am I supposed to stand when I say that? The more focused you are on the, well, the behavior of the teacher, yeah. the more you're missing the more important underlying model or assumptions or goals that the teacher has. So the first step is to think about, am I really looking for just obedience or am I looking for kids who are, who are thoughtful and so on? Mm-hmm. Then the next step is to plan how we solve problems together and plan a curriculum with kids rather than just doing it for them or worse, to them. Yeah, and yeah. then in the book Beyond Discipline, I offer many more, you know, specific examples of how that might play out yeah, when one yeah. kid does something nasty to the other, or what happens when we we run out of time. Um, how are we going to decide? I mean, the 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 working with alternative to doing two isn't just a matter of what do we do instead of disciplining when a kid does X. It's about from day one how we help kids to feel part of a caring community and how we give them more say um, about what's, what's going on, including when they're screwing up, when we sit down with them one-on-one and do more asking than telling, for example, mm-hmm. so that we are upstream. We are helping to prevent problems rather than just looking for new ways to respond when kids do something we don't like. But more importantly, it's not just about preventing problems. It's about affirmatively promoting their social and moral development. For that, the absence of punishments and rewards is necessary but not sufficient. I see. And that's why we have to think about things like class meetings and mm-hmm. and the connection we have with them and giving kids more say and, and all the rest of it. And this is not something I dreamed up, you know, in my office. This this. When I wrote that book, Beyond Discipline, with all those practical alternatives, it was based not only on good research, but it was based on dozens of amazing classrooms 
elementary, middle school, and secondary that I have had the good fortune to sit in on and watch uh-huh. incredibly talented teachers who are way more advanced in this stuff than I was when I was teaching. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I still wince at some of the stuff I did when I was in the classroom. Um, because they, whether they could, they might not have known the research on this, and they may not have had a fully developed theory about autonomy, support, and community building, but by God, they, tr- they treated those kids with respect, and they had goals that were more ambitious than compliance. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in today's schools, that would really entail a, a vast paradigm shift, you know, because uh, I've come out of schools, you know, where, I mean, obviously rewards and punishments are used in, in, in-house suspensions, expulsions, and, yeah. and, and all this other good stuff, you know. I mean, it's just something else. Um, which leads me to uh, this next thing, uh, Mr. Cohen, I wanted to talk to you about. And some proponents of behaviorism uh, argue that rewards can be used as just a temporary scaffolding tool to establish desired behaviors, you know, before intrinsic motivation develops. So what are your thoughts on on this as a temporary use of rewards? And do you believe it has any merit? Um, I I wish it did. Uh, It's a very seductive hypothesis. It gives Mm -hmm. me a green light to do stuff, even despite naysayers like me saying, you know, watch out, this is dangerous, this is counterproductive. And then I can say, yeah, I'm not going to do it all the time. And my mm-hmm. goal is just like you. I want intrinsic motivation. I want, I want kids to want to do it. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the research is very clear. As soon as you offer avoidance of a punishment or getting the reward as the reason for doing anything, uh-huh. you have handicapped yourself. You have made this harder. Intrinsic motivation now recedes farther in the distance. Because you have changed the whole gestalt, the whole way that the kid looks at herself, looks at you, and looks at the task. The message you send when offering any reward, including praise, as a reason for doing something is, this must be something I wouldn't want to do, otherwise they wouldn't bribe me to do it. Yeah, yeah. You have devalued, the if, if you offer an A for studying math, the message is math sucks. Yeah. If if you say to kids, "Good job, I like how everyone uh, treated everyone so nicely today," you have made treating others nicely less valuable and important in its own right. It has been redefined as a means to an end, and hmm. the end is the is the pat on the head, the gold star, the A, the dollar, whatever. So now you have more damage control to do to undo what you've done by defining it as a means to an end and by using a control-based paradigm. So unfortunately, and this is not just a matter of opinion or values, Mm -hmm. the research shows that rewards can't just be faded out and then you allow the natural desire to do something to flower later. You must avoid the reward or punishment from the beginning to have any hope of authentically supporting and promoting the things you're looking for. I see. Um, Which leads me to this next thing I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, One common criticism about removing rewards and punishments from the educational system might result in chaos or lack of discipline. How would you address that concern? And uh, yeah. (laughs) Neither research nor experience supports that. Those are the people who say that tend to have very little experience with anything other than broad and threat-based control. 
so they have see the world in binary or dichotomous ways. Mm-hmm. Either either I reward or punish them into submission, or I do nothing. I and see. if I do nothing, yeah, yeah it's going to explode. So I have to do something, and the only something I happen to know how to do is to say good job, or or give them a you know a, a, a doggy biscuit or yeah, something like yeah. that. But the good news is, and I hinted at this, and in my books I talk about them much in much more detail. Mm-hmm. There are many ways to work with kids rather than just doing to them. Now, other people raise that sort of canard, that reason for not doing, that excuse for not giving up their bribes and threats, uh-huh. because they want, they don't so much want a, a classroom in which kids are talking, challenging, questioning, involved, active, and so on. They see what I see as the best classrooms that I go into that are that are full of activity, full of kids saying, but why do we have to know this? Or, or yeah, but that didn't make sense when we tried it last week, and pushing back respectfully on what yeah. the teacher is suggesting. I say, I'm in heaven. <laughs> this, is, this is what I'm... Here are problem solvers. <laughs> Here yeah. are critical thinkers. But some adults want silence and obedience. And so what I see as, as you know, exactly the... The, uh, the the pot of gold under the rainbow that we've been looking for, they see as chaos. Yeah, and so yeah. they define rewards and punishments as something you got to do because it's unrealistic to think you could do without them. Because not only do they not see the harm of the method they're using, their goal is different. And what they're defining as chaos is not the way I use that word at all. All right. Well, Mr. Cohen, let me ask you this. For that new teacher, again, coming into that classroom, what would be your biggest takeaway for them? Um, Think about the long-term goals you have for these kids. And if your long-term goal goes beyond compliance in terms of the things that you and I have been talking about uh, with, with kids being active thinkers and genuinely generous people who want to learn and uh-huh. so on, then you've got to fit your plan to that goal. And punishments and rewards are about doing too. You don't help kids to become good learners, excited learners, and good people by doing things to them, only by working with them. And then if you run into frustration because you don't know how to do that, uh-huh. it's understandable. Most of us were raised and taught in a doing-to environment. That, that's right. That's right, yeah. Then we need help. But remember to phrase it as a question. Don't say, oh, this doesn't work, <laughs> or that sounded nice in theory. Yeah. <laughs> in the real world, you have to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But instead say, the problem is I lack the experience and the expertise to be able to effectively implement a working with responsive, respectful approach that the research and other people's experience shows is far more effective than what I've been doing. How do I do that? And if you're asking it that way, uh-huh. if you're saying, I know this makes sense, I need help, then you're open to the possibility of learning as opposed to the person who says, oh, that, that doesn't work or it doesn't work with these kids which is really a way of clapping your hands over your ears and going, la, 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 la. Yeah, because yeah. It's too, it's too, <laughs> what those people who say, it, you know, it sounds good in theory, first of all, they don't even like the theory, I found, if you asked them about it. Mm-hmm. But what they're really saying is, it's too threatening to me to admit that praise and timeouts and grades 
and behavior management is making things worse. So I'm going to pretend it's necessary so I don't have to question what I've been doing. I see. I see. Well, let me ask you, how can folks connect with you, uh, Mr. Cohn, uh, besides, you know, alfiecone.org? Is there, is there any other ways that uh, folks can get no, in touch? No, that's the way. Okay. I, my, my, uh, that, if, if they know how to spell my name, A-L-F-I-E-K-O-H-N, uh, okay. they're there. The, the website has information about all these books, but it also has hundreds of articles, essays, and blog posts that are available for free and a couple information about a couple of videos and a lot of other stuff and a way to contact me if they if they want okay uh, this has been truly truly amazing and mr. Cohn I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your expertise with us and I just know that my audience will benefit from the information that you presented uh, them today and I look forward to having you back on the show again at some point in the future and again thank you so much and have a great rest of your day thank and, you same to you and thanks for your interest okay and take okay. care sir bye-bye all right, folks, that concludes today's episode. I want to thank you for listening to the Teacher Rockstar Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hiles. Should you have a topic that you would like for me to address on the show, shoot me an email. I personally read every single email that comes in, and I'd love to hear from you. When you get a moment, visit our website and subscribe to my newsletter for the latest educational research, best practices, and unadvertised free bonuses. Go to TeacherClassroomResources.com. And don't forget to subscribe to us at the Teacher Rockstar Podcast. And if you'd like to support us, please feel free to share our podcast with others. Post about it on social media. And if you feel comfortable doing so, leave a rating and review that would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again, and we'll see you same time, same place next week. And remember, my friend, you got this.